hope so. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17 till the end of chapter 2, verse 10. Now the Lord provided huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and You listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All Your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from Your sight, yet I will look again toward Your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Sometimes when I see Jonah portrayed in books, or particularly children's books, I often see it. And if you've seen the VeggieTales movie, the, with, um, so Jonah is an asparagus, and he goes into a big fish. But in those children's instances, when they portray the, the whale or the fish, usually Jonah is in this kind of spacious room. You know, there's a lot of room in there, just, and there's like a five-inch puddle of water. He's just sitting in it or standing in it. There might be a glimmer of light beaming on him. Uh, and, it's, you know, he can stretch around and you know, just kind of move around, be, be himself. But that is not at all the case of what happened when you really think about this. So Jonah, as the text tells us, chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah because of his rebellion, because of his animosity towards the Ninevites. He didn't want those wicked people to receive the grace of God. So God sent him a fish to swallow him. And imagine what it was truly like in the belly of a fish, a massive fish. We don't, it does, the text doesn't say it was a whale. It could have been. We don't know what sea creature it was. But, but imagine what it was like in there. Right? There's no sunlight in the stomach. And in a stomach, in the intestines of a fish, there's a foul stench in the air. Right? Stomach acid and rotting fish and other things in the belly of the fish. And it just smells horrific. And most likely, it was very cramped in there. Right, very tight. There's hardly any room to stretch or to even you know, do the thing that we all do in the morning. Just stretch our shoulders and back. No room to do that. And how many of you know how annoying it is to have clothes that are wet stick to you? Right, you go to the beach or somebody dumps a bucket of water on you. You're out in the rain. Right, it just feels nasty. But imagine that three days straight. And also imagine, right, you also know how when you go in a pool, sometimes 
your fingers and your feet, right, they get the wrinkles and they get all nasty. That's only after what, 15 minutes, an hour in the water? Imagine being soaked damp for three days straight. How nasty your own skin would feel. And down there, there's no human interaction, right? Jonah cannot phone a friend down there. He can't call anybody, can't distract himself with social media. He is in the pitch black darkness alone. And also, keep this in mind, because of the tight quarters and the nasty environment, imagine the sleep, right? It's sporadic at best. He might get five minutes, one minute, and then as soon as he goes off to sleep, the fish starts to turn direction or swallow something else, and you just jolted awake. And imagine the kind of crazy thoughts and hysteria he might have been experiencing because of the lack of sleep. And all of this is what I call, in short, the darkness of the depths. And what Jonah was experiencing physically is emblematic of what he was experiencing spiritually. Because as Brother Donald unpacked for us last week, right, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, but instead he went down to Joppa. He went down to Tarshish. He went down in the bottom of the ship. And then he eventually went down into the sea and then down into the belly of the fish. This continual downward trajectory for Jonah, which he was running away from God. And right for you and I today, none of us have been swallowed by a fish. But all of us, in one way or another, have experienced what I call the darkness of the depths. Right? Seasons in life, moments in life, times in life, which we find very depressing, very demoralizing, very discouraging, very alone. Right? A few scenarios that you may personally have lived through, or you know somebody has gone through this, right? You walk into the dining room in your house and you find on the table a stack of divorce papers with a note on top saying, I don't think this is going to work out. You have a 15-year-old son whom you've loved, not perfectly, but faithfully. You've prayed for them, you've loved them, you've served them. But one day around the supper table, they burst out in anger and they say, I hate you. Look you straight in the eye and say that. Or the doctor walks in to your room at the hospital and tells you you have pancreatic cancer. It's spread to your bones. It's spread to your lungs. There's really nothing we can do for you that will really help you. You've got three months to live. Right? How many of us have experienced that? Different seasons of life, different moments of life. The point is, whether you are in darkness now, you were, or you will be in the future, the question for all of us is simple. Where's the hope? What do I do? Where's the hope? How can I breathe? As we walk through this text, as we see Jonah's own plight, what I want to do today is highlight three ways, three hopefully encouragements for you in which you and I can respond when we find ourselves in the darkness of the depths. When we are in the darkness of the depths, I encourage you, 
cry out to the Lord. Number two, consider his discipline. Number three, cling to his love. Number one, cry out to the Lord. This is from verses one and two. The text tells us, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you, God Almighty, you listened to my cry. Right, though Jonah experiences immeasurable suffering in this chapter, you cannot gloss over this, these first two verses that state a simple truth to us. And that is this. God hears us. Okay? God hears you when you pray. Do not take that simple truth for granted. The God of creation hears you. He has an ear turn to you. And when we pray, right, in my distress, I prayed to God. I called out to Him. I called for help. You listened to my cry for help. All right, when we pray, we're not just venting. We're not just exuding a lot of passionate emotion. No, we are talking to somebody who's real, who's alive, and more so, who cares for us. 1 Peter 3 Verse 12 tells us the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Listen to Psalm 66, uh, a wonderful passage on this topic. Psalm 66, verse 17. I cried out to him, to God. I cried out to God with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But... God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Dear church, let me say it again. God listens to your prayer. He's actively caring and attentive to what you say and focused on what you say. He's never too busy for you. Right? I, I don't care how much your, your own parents love you or how much you love your own children. We all know what it feels like to say, right, they're clamoring for your attention, young, teenage, 10-year-old, whatever. They're clamoring for your attention. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let, let me just wrap up this last step of my taxes uh, just so I can just get it all done with. And then, then I'm all yours, okay? Or, you know, I'm, I'm finished up mixing this, um, this batter. Let me, let me pour it so that way I can put it in the oven, and then I'm all yours, right? That is never the case with God. He never says, hold on. I'm doing something a little more important, and then I've got, you've got my full attention now. He says, come to me. I'm ready for you 24-7. I'm ready to listen to you. I'm ready to receive you. My arms are open to you. So, dear church, when you are in the darkness of the depths, I encourage you to cry out to the Lord. Don't suppress your emotions and thoughts, don't just put them down, try to bottle it up and contain it. In today's day and age, don't distract yourself with social media and entertainment. Don't lash out. This is, maybe some of you need to hear this. Don't lash out on others and throw a pity party for yourself. No, take it to the Lord in prayer, as that good hymn tells us. Cry out to Him, for God will hear you. That leads us to the second thing. Consider 
God's discipline. This is from verses 3 to 6. You see, Jonah, if you recall, in chapter 1, verse 12, Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. All right, Jonah was aware that it was his sin that brought him to this point. Right, it's my fault. I'm cognizantly aware of the fact that I have rebelled against God. And then verse 3, look at the text. Jonah, do you see the word in here? He says, you, God, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Right? He, he acknowledges that God is the one. Gotta use this. He acknowledges that God is the one who put him there. Right? Sometimes in life, right, when you think about it, sometimes in life, the pain and suffering you're going through is correlated to your sin. Not every time, right? I'm not saying every sin you commit, there's an immediate reaction in any type of suffering you might be in. Oh, you might be wondering, oh, what did I do wrong? Did, did I deserve this? That's not necessarily the case. Sometimes in life, you simply are experiencing the brokenness of this world. Just the sin-cursed world we live in, the, the mayhem that's wrecking havoc because of our sin in general, of our rebellion. All right, think about Job. And the blind man in John chapter 9, right? In both of those instances. In, in John chapter 9, there's a blind man. He's suffering. He, he can't see, right? And people around are saying, whose fault is it? What, what sin did this man commit that was so bad that he deserved to be blind? Or was it his parents' fault that he deserved this punishment? And Jesus said, no, that is not at all the case. Neither of those are correct. It's not because either of them sinned. They were sinners. But it's not directly correlated. Right? It's more generic. It's because of the fall. It's because of the curse. And think of Job. It's not because Job had slandered God, had done something egregious, and then all of these, he, you know, he lost his wife, his family, his kids, his, his home, his own health. He lost everything. It's not because he did something immediate. No, it's because of the, the world we live in. But at other times, as Jonah's aware God is the one who sent this to him. But here's what I want to say to you. Right? This is why I say all of this. In either scenario, whether you're suffering from the, the sin that you committed before and you're experiencing the after effects of that, I, I think of right, a, a big one would be adultery. Right? That's one of those things that you sin and you, you feel the personal guilt, the shame, and the havoc that it will wreck in the family. Right? That, that's a kind of a consequence of the sin that we experience in this natural realm. But whether that's the case or it might just be the brokenness of this world, either way, remember Proverbs 3, verse 12. The Lord disciplines those He loves. Revelation three nineteen. Jesus Himself says, Those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. And you see, I hope you see this in the text. God brought Jonah down, not to destroy him, 
but to correct him, to discipline him. Not to crush him, but to discipline him and to correct him. And for all of you, this is perhaps the most important verse regarding this, consider God's discipline. Why, why is that? How does that bring me comfort in the midst of my sorrow and my suffering that I'm in? Hebrews 12, 7. It tells us, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. Did you hear the precise wording there? Endure hardship as discipline. It's not necessarily saying that everything is directly from the active hand of God, that He's directly giving it to you, right? He is sovereign. He's in control of all things. Everything passes through His sovereign counsel. But the text isn't saying everything He sends to you is from Him. No, He's saying everything that happens to you in life, everything, endure it as discipline. In other words, the suffering that you're going through, the pain, the disappointment, the depression, the heartache, do not waste it. Do not let Satan waste it. Do not let your own self waste that opportunity. Because think about discipline in general. right? Just the generic word for discipline. What does that mean? What are we aiming for? As parents or the judicial system, what are we aiming for? We're aiming for correction. We're aiming for our wayward actions to be made right or our wayward hearts to be brought back to the straight and narrow path. That is what God does in every situation in life. Because in all circumstances, God wants us to be reminded, you need me. You need me. You need me. Do not let your suffering go by and waste it. Endure it as discipline. Receive it. It doesn't mean you have to receive it with joy. And, and it's, I'm not saying it's not going to be hard, no. But just ask God, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show to me? What, what can I learn from this, Lord? How? Why? Why are you sending it to me? That's perhaps one of the biggest questions in all of philosophy and in life, right? We've all asked it. Why do bad things happen? In general, why am I going through it right now? Why did it happen to me in the past? I can't, I cannot, I can't answer that throughout the entirety of my life, much less in one sermon. But I simply share with you the truth of Scripture. And what is that? In your weakness, his strength is more precious. Right? When you are down, I've heard it said before, when you, you might have remembered this quote, but when you are down on your back, when the world knocks you on your back, when Satan knocks you on your back, you're finally in the right place because you're looking up to God in heaven. Right? And the reality is, we always need mercy. Jonah needed mercy. But the Keep in mind the context and what's going on in this book. Jonah was a chosen man by God. He was an Israelite. He served God. He feared God ever since he was a little child. Grew up, you know, going to the temple, tabernacle, bringing sacrifices, worshiping the one true God. He had received, he'd grown up in the grace and mercy of God. 
But because of that familiarity, he got complacent with it. And when there was a, a, a suggestion that somebody wicked would receive mercy, what did Jonah do? He said, oh, they don't deserve that. You know how bad those Ninevites are? We're going to unpack that next week, Lord willing, in chapter 3, as we talk about the mercy that God showed to them. But you see, the point is, Jonah was blind to the fact that he himself was a sinner. Jonah was blind to the fact that he himself was broken. Jonah was blind to the fact that he himself needed mercy from God. It was only in the belly of a fish that Jonah was reminded, I need you, Lord. I need your mercy. And dear church, dear Christian, sometimes in life, it's the same for us. Just to be frank. Sometimes we get so caught up in life, especially if you've been a Christian a while, you get so familiar and used to the grace of God, you forget how every single day you need Him. And that's what I'm saying. When you go through suffering, however grave it might be, however egregious and wrong it might be, whenever you go through it, please don't waste it. Consider God's discipline and remember, Lord, I need you. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And that leads us to the last thing from verses 6 to the end. Cling to God's love. Right, verse 6, it says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. As bleak as this situation was for Jonah, I hope you see the rays of hope, even in this dark belly, this dark stomach. The rays of hope that emerge from this prayer. Because a few things I'll point out. One, when does Jonah say this? He's still in the belly of the fish, right? He hasn't been vomited back out onto dry land. He hasn't been been able to, you know, eat some good food and, and breathe some fresh air, clean air. No, he's still in the midst of this nasty, horrific circumstance. But he still praises God. He still acknowledges salvation comes from you. But also, you'll notice verse 4 and verse 7. There's a repeated phrase there that Jonah mentions. Do you see it? Somebody point it out if you see it. It says in verse 4 and 7. Right When you read the Bible, look for repeated things because that's perhaps the main point the author is communicating. Do you see it? Holy temple, there it is. Bingo. In the belly of the fish, Jonah mentions the holy temple of God. You might be wondering, how in the world does that bring any comfort to a man like that? Well, you have to remember, what is the temple? It's something that we're not super in tune with in 21st century America, but the temple of God, right? This is before Christ and all the, and the Holy Spirit present with us, right? Before all of that, 
God visited people in the temple. He communed with people. He fellowshiped with people. He revealed himself through the temple, through the sacrifices, the sacrificial system. And what, God is say, or what Jonah is saying is, right, I will look again toward your holy temple. I long for your temple again. My prayer rose to you toward, toward your holy temple. Right, Jonah is longing for the presence of God. What's so great about the presence of God, you might wonder? Absolutely everything. Psalm 1611. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, here's the deal. It is absolutely human to want to be rid of pain. Right? I don't care if you're Muslim, Buddhist, uh, you know, whatever your religion might be. Every single human being wants to be rid of pain and suffering. It's human to want that. It is Christian to want to be in the presence of God. To be in the presence of Christ. And that is why, church, whenever you face darkness in life, what is it that you're longing for? Are you simply longing to be out of the pain? Are you simply longing for it to be over? There's nothing wrong with that. Or, and more so, as a Christian, are you longing to be in the presence of God? Are you longing to be able to experience his, uh, the unhindered, unabashed presence and beauty of God himself? Right? We are made not just to be out of pain, but to cling to his love, to be in his love. But, as you know, we face a massive problem. Verse 9, Jonah alludes to it. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Right, to be in the presence of God, you have to be good. You have to be perfect. And the reality is, as you know, not a single human being is good enough to be in his presence. It's from Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure can stand before God. So for all of us, we are all then barred from his presence. But then where is the hope? And this is what we're leading to. Do you see Christ in the text? Do you see the illusions and the, the foreshadowings of Jesus even here? Right? Because as Jesus himself said, Matthew 20, or sorry, Matthew 12, verses 40 and 41, Jesus is the greater Jonah, the true Jonah, the faithful Jonah. Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus said, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Something greater than Jonah is here. As we read the gospel accounts, the passion narrative, all that leads up to the cross and the resurrection, all that that entails, we know that Jesus is the ultimate one who went and experienced true darkness for three days and three nights. He was swallowed in the belly of the earth, the stomach of the earth, when he was buried in the grave. But the beauty of Christ it can even be seen in you know, verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You see, because Christ, the, the belly of the earth, the grave could not hold him. It spit him back out. He, he came back to the surface. He breathed new life. He brought new life for his people. And that's the, that's the God we serve. 
But you have to wonder, why did he do all of this? Why did he suffer? Why did he rise? In the first place, Hebrews 4.16, Christ did all of this for us so that we could enter into God's throne room of grace. We could enter in God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Right, Jesus is the true Jonah. He is the faithful one, the greater one, the one who truly plummeted the depths, the one who rose back and came back into the world, breathing new life so that we could go into God's presence, so that God's presence might come to us through his spirit, through his kingdom, so that we would be saved. That's what Jonah declares. Salvation comes from the Lord. So your Christian, your church, I wrap up two things I want to share with you. Right. In the, these are things, right? These are things that you know. Okay? I'm not going to act like you don't already know this stuff. You do. A lot of you have heard this. But you know, the reality is we are I mentioned it before. We are very forgetful people. And we need constant reminders of the same basic truth over and over again so that we might believe it and hold on to it. And it is this, we are not promised immediate deliverance in this life. Right, Jonah was in there 10 minutes. I'm sure he wanted to be out the, next, the very next second when he was in there. We're not promised immediate deliverance in this life. But, and here's the, here's the hope, right, because of Jesus, and because of the Spirit of God now with us, we are promised God's presence through the pain. And here's a question for you. Do you long to just be freed from the pain? Or do you long to be in His presence with the pain? Let me, let me state that as a statement. God's presence in the pain is far sweeter than the absence of pain. God's presence in the pain is far sweeter than the absence of pain. Do you believe that? Is that your hope? Is that what you hold on to? It's certainly what Jonah clung to, what he relied on in this horrible situation. And I encourage you, church, that's what you and I are called to do as well. Some of you may have heard this before, but in reflecting on this passage, I wrote a little poem. But this, this is the, the final prayer, final thoughts. And then we'll close with the doxology. But, it's, but it goes like this. In this moment of despair, I feel no comfort or rest. Take heart, O weary soul, for the Lord wants your best. Your sin may have dragged you to this place of desolation, or you may have been succumbed to the curse's devastation. The pressure of this pain is too much for me to bear. In the darkness of my life, does anyone really care? Look up to the light, though you may not see clearly. The Lord's mercy and grace freely come if you believe. I cannot see a ray of light, no sounds of rescue I hear. How then am I supposed to gaze 
with all this heavy fear. O heart, you still have much to learn. You're called to look with faith. For as you trust in his love, you can rest calm and safe. Though hard to do, I now cry out with the faint breath of my voice. For you, O God, are my only hope, my only remaining choice. I don't know what my outcome is, nor what will happen next. But I trust in you alone, O Lord, through the pain of this test. Align my heart, my hopes, my will to pleasing you alone. For you reign above my plight, ruling from your royal throne. This despair is real, the pain remains, but I know you'll give me rest in your due time. Till then, I'll praise you in the darkness of these depths. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever.